Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. All right. Well, we do want to say thanks to all of the great artists and uh, coordinators and kids and families who participated all weekend. I, I think it's another one of those weeks where you think, uh, I didn't know we could do that. I didn't know that would work like that. I, I didn't know kids would participate. I didn't know people could hold their attention. I didn't know we could connect uh, virtually in that way. And uh, I, I think we're going to continue to figure some of that stuff out. And I think that matters. I think it matters this morning as we kick off this new series and we talk about overcoming. And today we're going to talk about overcoming fear. And I think it matters. So let me, let me just start with asking you uh, uh, some questions. The first question that I want to ask you is this. What do you so passionately believe that it drives your choices and your behaviors? What is that core thing in you that you just, no matter what, COVID-19, normal life, craziness, difficult times, what is that thing inside of you that you passionately believe so much that you would risk almost anything to maintain and to let that be your guiding principle? And then the second question is this, what do you love so much that it causes you to be willing to sacrifice? What do you love so much that you're willing to sacrifice, to, to lose something in order to see that that love is connected and, and it benefits? And then the third question is this, what moves you emotionally to a point that you change your mind and you change your perspective and you change how you think because your heart is simply moved, broken, hurt, opened, connected in such a way that it, it just impacts everything around you, everything about who you are as a person and how you feel inside and how your brain works. What things move you that way? A few months ago, now really almost a year ago, uh, our uh, group gathered, our leadership team gathered uh, for a writing retreat. And, uh, and so here's how writing retreat has always worked. Uh, we go away, uh, we try to figure out and pray about, you know, the coming year and what God might be teaching us, and where we are as a church, and where we think God's leading us, and how do we get from where we are to where we think God's leading us. And, and so that's taken on all kinds of different forms over the years. For a lot of years, it was just me. It was just me going away. Uh, for a lot of years, it was just me in my office trying to set aside a day or two to plan ahead. And, uh, and then uh, as the church grew a little bit, we had the opportunity, uh, I had the opportunity to go away and do that work. And then it was a couple of us, and then it was three of us, and, and, and then it was six of us. And, and this last year, because of the generosity of a family in the church who offered us their very beautiful and large home, we were able to say to our staff, anybody who wants to go this year on writing retreat can go with us. And this year we took 11 people, last year, we took 11 people on this trip. 
and, and it afforded us something that we had not been able to do before. We were able to take uh, uh, females and males on this trip. It's the first time we've ever been able to do that. And so with 11 folks, uh, we were pretty well represented. We, we had, I think, most of the age groups covered. Uh, we had uh, the genders covered. Uh, we had kind of the perspectives covered. And so uh, I, I honestly, going into it, taking 11 people, thought this could end up in utter chaos. I, I'm not sure how we'll get everybody to focus. I'm not sure how the dynamic will work. There's a lot of work to be accomplished and not a lot of time to accomplish it. And so there were some definite, you know, thoughts about that. But it turns out that, that as we sort of gathered and we started to think about and pray about uh, what has turned out to be this in completely insane year of 2020, uh, the group really came together in a really powerful way. Great conversations, great discussion. And, uh, and so out of that came this sort of conversation about obscure people in the Bible and, and, and why we don't hear more about them. And, you know, we know sort of the main characters, but we don't always get down to some of these others. And, and that sort of led us into a conversation about what about some of the prominent women in the Bible, or pe- women in the Bible that we don't really talk about that often. And so out of that, we, we had this opportunity to uh, say to some of the women who were with us, Leah Beth uh, and uh, Shauna and Candace, we said, well, why don't you guys take this series and you guys bring us back what you want to talk about and what you think are important when you think about women of the Bible. So, so we're, we have this very unique opportunity and I want you to know uh, how it's working. Uh, the truth is, you know, I, I'm coming at this from a whole different perspective because these are not my ideas. These are ideas that were handed to me and said, you know, why don't you talk about this? And, and Pastor Sean is going to do one of these uh, sermons in this series because that seems uh, appropriate. And, but uh, I, I think it matters so much that you understand this, that this series and sort of how it's developed, uh, something very important about this series is unique in the life of this church. And here it is. No men were involved in the development of this series. And so I hope you listen differently. I, I, I hope you think about that. And today we're going to talk about the women around Moses, and we're going to talk about what it means to overcome fear. And I think it's such an important thing for us to think about. And and I think it matters today that we think about as a church family that every sermon doesn't originate in the mind of the pastor, but in the community of faith. And we're we're in this together, and, and these are things that matter so significantly. And so maybe you are in the middle of fear I don't know about you, but this is so unsettling. It's so unsettling to where we are, and there's so many opinions, and there's so many things going on, and I just hope today as we think about this that you and I could focus on the reality that it doesn't matter what's going on out there. God is in control. In all things, God works for the good, and we're going to think about what that looks like and what that means for each of us, and more specifically for these women who surround Moses. So when you begin to think about that, and you think about the reality that, that long before Jesus would visit with the woman at the well, and long before he would, he would bring uh, the woman caught in adultery and, and he would redeem that situation, long before Jesus began to really elevate women in a purely patriarchal society, in a place where they struggled for significance and they struggled to fit in. 
God was using women in powerful ways to advance the story and the narrative of God's love for his people. That, that he wasn't just leaving them in obscurity, but involving them. Long before Paul would say, here's the, here's the biblical perspective on race and gender. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are in this together. A long time before that sort of clarity came in the New Testament, God was already weaving these significant women into the story. They became vital to what was happening. And we're going to talk about some of the ways in which that happened uh, in, in a lot of these conversations that we have. It turns out that fear has a couple of different perspectives. One of them is positive and one of them is negative. So take a little listen to this. It seems that the positive side of fear is that if you're going to do very much in your life, now hear me, Fear is going to mark that effort, and it's going to make you stretch. So I would guess that some of us are fearing some things today because we're trying to do things we've never done before. We're trying to engage in ways we've never engaged before. Eleanor Roosevelt said, do one thing every day that scares you. Soren Kierkegaard, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. That should be a t-shirt or something. Sigmund Freud mirrors some of those thoughts. Most people do not really want freedom because freedom involves responsibility and most people are frightened of responsibility. And so there is this aspect of fear, this kind of fear, that if you're going to do anything, if you're going to stretch at all, if you're going to push forward, you're going to have some anxiety, you're going to have some fear. And I think sometimes in, in our faith we say, well, you know, we're supposed to be Christians and we're never supposed to be afraid. Well, we're not just supposed to entertain certain kinds of fear. And we're invited to trust instead of be afraid. But if you and I are going to stretch, if you and I are going to enter uncharted territories, if we're going to challenge ourselves, if we're going to take on new responsibility, fear is going to be a piece of that. And there is this positive aspect to the nature of that kind of of fear. Emma Donahue writes these words, scared is what you're feeling, brave is what you're doing. And I think we understand the power of courage and the power of bravery, but you can't really have any of that without this other place of fear. There's another kind of fear, and that's the kind of fear that debilitates us, that takes us out of our life, that causes us not to, to not attempt what we feel we are called to do, are invited to do. There's a kind of fear that steals the joy out of our life, that takes us off track. And that's the kind of fear that the Bible says you've not been given that kind of a spirit, not that kind of a mind. Plato wrote these words, We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when people are afraid of the light. And I think for you and I, maybe right here in the middle of COVID-19 and an election year, and, and I don't know, maybe you remember this. It says over in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. Literally, the Hebrew says where there's no revelation, where God's no longer being revealed. People, instead of looking up, begin to look around and if nothing else has happened in these past few months, here's something that has happened. People are not distracted by their jobs or traffic or their home. There's, everything has been interrupted. And in that environment, we start to look around. 
we start to judge and, and, and we have such a huge amount of free time suddenly to occupy our minds and energy and thoughts. And, and, and listen, it doesn't go well. It's not going well. And I'm, I'm guessing for a lot of you, it's not going well. There is a kind of fear and anxiety that sort of gnaws away underneath there, just a sense of uneasiness. And so there's this sense in which we are invited to overcome fear. Most of you have heard the story of Moses a few times. Maybe you stopped and you've thought a little bit about some of the key women and the roles they've prayed and how, played and how they contributed to the life of Moses. But, but just so you know about the significance of this Moses narrative, you, you should understand this. That if you imagine that, that there's this theological construct, this thing that happens in the biblical narrative, and so if you imagined it uh, as a bridge that's being built from the garden uh, to the city of God, and, and you know, you kind of get this whole idea that you started, what the narrative that starts as a garden, it ends in a city, it's the city of God, there's this developmental vision of how it gets from one sort of primitive idea to this developed idea and this completeness. Uh, teleos, this teleological outcome of what God has in mind for all creation. And so there's this bridge, and, and it, it, it involves all of the narrative, the, the prophets and the law, and all of that stuff that's happening. And if you imagine then that this bridge is held up by two massive pillars, that, that something holds this narrative up, then, then in the New Testament, that would be the story of the birth of Christ and the the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the great story of deliverance in the New Testament. But over in the Old Testament, that pillar would be the story of Moses and the deliverance of the children of Israel and the Exodus. It becomes the great salvation paradigm of the Old Testament that is mirrored in the story of Christ, who brings to you know, this new law. He puts away the old law and he brings the new law. And so you have these two. So, so the story of Moses is not just a quaint little story. It is this massive theological construct that holds up the whole narrative of Scripture. And we keep coming to this idea, and you'll hear it all through the prophetic writings and all through the poetry work and all through the wisdom literature, this harking back to this moment of God's great deliverance of how he does not forget. And so the story of Moses becomes this powerful, powerful image. Let's pick it up. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. And then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives, and he asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi named, married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a, pap a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, and she placed the child in it, and she put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. 
Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. And she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her female slave to get it, and she opened it and saw the baby, and he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And so the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So as the story unfolds, there's a few things that are going on that would be significant and matter, as barbaric as the story seems. So, so we, are, we are a number of generations past Joseph. Joseph was friends with the Pharaoh. He, he had favor with the Pharaoh. He was second in command over all of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. Uh, but those years have come and gone. In fact, centuries have passed. And in those ensuing years, the children of Israel have continued to thrive in Egypt. They've become, instead of just a small family, a great nation. And now, as they have grown, they, they have proven to be this sort of unique problem for the pharaohs. And the problem was, they're so healthy. that they, they just keep growing in population. But it's not only that. Their cattle all give birth, and, and the calves all live, and their crops flourish. And, and, and they, are, they are really thriving inside of Egypt. They're doing better inside of Egypt than the Egyptians are doing inside of Egypt. And, and that's not the only problem. By now, you would have expected all of these centuries later that, that, that they would have lost identity. They would have started to mix in with all of the other enslaved peoples. That's sort of what happened. They all start to intermarry, and, and after a few hundred years, you can't tell one group from the other. But the Jews didn't mingle like that. They ferociously maintained their identity and their style of worship. They ferociously maintained their connection as family they had this deep identity, and so the pharaohs became very worried. At some point, this group that is so strong and so powerful is going to rise up, and they're going to cause all kinds of havoc. And so they decided they would try to somehow change that reality. And the first thing they decided was, we're going to work them so hard that they can't survive. We will literally work them to death. And so they increase the amount of work that the Israelite slaves have to do. And that doesn't affect them much. It turns out that they continue to thrive. Their population continues to grow. And so they begin to take on these extreme measures. And, and so the idea is if we get rid of the male heirs, then, then we'll wipe out a generation of males, and that will stem all of the, the growth in the population. And so they say to the midwives, listen, here's going to be your job. You're going to put to death any male child that's born. And, and so... We, we, we now begin to encounter the significant women. And, and, and so I don't know if you listened closely as I read, but there are four significant women in the story. The first two are the midwives. And then there is Moses' mother. And then there is Pharaoh's daughter. So these four significant women who have this impact on the life of Moses... And each of them overcome their fear, but for a different set of reasons. Now, I want you to observe this, and I don't know why this is so, but in this narrative, only two of these women are named. Now, in the greater narrative, we do eventually find out the name of Moses' mother and 
by legend, we learn the name of Pharaoh's daughter. In fact, we learn not only her Egyptian name, but we learn her Jewish name. But she's not named in this narrative. And so you would think, in your logic, that Moses' mother would have the place of prominence and be named, and you would think certainly Pharaoh's daughter would have a place of prominence, and she would be named, but neither of them are called by name, but the two midwives are. And it causes me to think that God wants this message to get through to you and to get through to me. We may feel we're on the outside. We may feel like we don't have much influence or ability to impact anything. What would we have to do with the grand narrative of God's work in the world? What, what would I possibly, how could my small contribution, how could this little thing change anything? And I think the writer so carefully gives name to these two very small characters in a massive narrative to remind you and I that it matters. So think with me about these sets of women and what's going on in the story and think with me about this. The midwives overcome their fear with morality. It's their morality that overcomes their fear. Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. In fact, if you read the Proverbs, that phrase is repeated over and over and over and over. There's a way that seems to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The midwives respond and react and overcome their fear because there is some passionate belief in them that drives their behavior. Now, I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a minute. They serve Pharaoh, the most, arguably, the most powerful leader on the planet at the time. And he has given them specific instructions. Here's what you are to do. But we're told very specifically, there is a belief in them, a fear of God in them that tells them, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what Pharaoh says. I'm not going to do that. While it, it would have been so much easier to just do what Pharaoh asked, to just sort of bow down into that system and into that structure, uh, who knows what Pharaoh could do to them, to their families, to their own children. But instead, there was something in them, some deep-seated belief that said, no, that's, that's not what I do. That's not how I act. That's not how I talk. That's not how I behave. That's not who I am. I don't care what the circumstances are. There's a morality in me that holds me strong, that keeps me focused. And this heartfelt, passionate belief is what overcomes their fear. At some, at some point, they just say, I don't really care how it turns out. I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to act like that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that. That's not who I am. It's not what I believe. It's not how I think. And whatever else is going on around me, I'm not going to do that. I've got to tell you, there is a way that seems right, but ultimately leads to death. There, there is a way of getting along in the world in which it feels like we're getting along. 
But in the end, it doesn't work out. Because truth, truth is what works. It can't be true if it doesn't work. It can't be true if it doesn't end up advancing life and joy and connection and relationship. And we live in a culture and in a world that says, let's just get along. But sometimes getting along means taking responsibility. It means standing up for something that matters. And here's what it really concerns me in the middle of that. What do you passionately believe that is changing the way you talk and the choices you make? Somehow, it feels like since we're in the middle of chaos that it's okay suddenly to let go of the values. We're instructed in God's Word that we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That our gentleness is to be evident to all. And somehow COVID-19 has brought something out in us, an aggression. I know sometimes we think we're standing up for what we believe is right. But isn't there some passionate belief in which we are invited, called, created to be Christ-like? Now, I know Jesus had some really radical confrontations, but if you read the story, his radical confrontations are with the religious. He has a deep compassion for others. And my question this morning is, what do you passionately believe not just about your own behavior, but what do you passionately believe about God's faithfulness? These two women who risked everything are rewarded and honored for those choices. Their lives are blessed. And this is the story. Now, it's not one for one. I wish it was. I wish you just, do, you just believe some stuff and live some stuff. But overall, do you really believe that living for God and living out this faith and walking with Him is a blessing to your life? It's a blessing to the life of your children. It's a blessing to the generations around you, to the community in which you live, to the church in which you attend. It ought to be because that is the biblical story. That is the faithfulness of God. And the midwives overcome their fear based on their morality. Number two, Moses' mother. For Moses' mother, it is love that overcomes her fear. It's love. John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and of self-discipline. This is a pretty simple one. She loved that baby... And she would do whatever she had to do to keep him safe. She would even give him up in order for him to have a chance at life. Such love, loving so deeply and so unselfishly, drives out fear. When we love like this, there's no room for fear. So often our fears take first place in our relationships. They stand between us and embracing the moments. But Moses' mother, she, she demonstrates what it looks like to love so deeply that you're willing to sacrifice. And that love overcomes fear. 
that love allows God into the equation to do something. And I know it seems impractical. I'm just going to love so much. I'm going to sacrifice for the benefit and the sake of others. I'm going to put myself second and others first. Because I don't know about you, but part of fear is self-preservation. Part of what makes me afraid is, is if I do that, if I allow that, if that happens, if I don't fix that, if I don't address that, what's going to happen to me? How will I ever find significance? How will I ever be loved? How will I ever... But this kind of love, this kind of love says, no, no, the focus isn't here, it's there. The focus is on other things, it's on other people. It's on how I can accommodate, how I can help, how I can sacrifice in order to allow this to benefit someone else. Whoever wants to be greatest among you should be the servant of all. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there's just this ongoing understanding of, of who you and I are called. A new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so also should you love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. What do you love so passionately that it makes you willing to sacrifice? What do you love like that? Finally, we get to the third character, Pharaoh's daughter. When Pharaoh's daughter finds the child, she has some choices to make. Listen, I got to tell you, this is the very opposite of what I would expect out of Pharaoh's daughter. I expect her to be a spoiled, entitled brat. I expect her to be a product of wealth and privilege. I expect her to not only not notice the child, but to not care. But we're told that when she sees the child, she loves him. She is moved with compassion. Her heart has the ability to melt. Whatever has happened to her, whatever her upbringing, whatever her training, whoever got to her, in this moment when she sees the child, there is a compassion in her that breaks apart and it causes her to overcome her fear. I I don't know what kind of relationship she had with her dad. I don't know what her story was. I have a feeling it wasn't, you know, your typical sort of nuclear family. But whatever it was, whatever the expectation was, because remember this, all of these women are acting in defiance of Pharaoh. First the midwives, then Moses' mother, and now his own daughter. And she's moved with compassion in a way that she sees the child, and her heart melts, and she is changed. It impacts what she believes. It impacts... Her nature of love, it impacts everything about her. This ability, this compassion, which allows things in. It allows things to get inside of us. And I'm observing this. It feels like people are armored up in this day. I'm, I'm set in my understanding. I'm set in how I see the world. I'm set in what I think. Let's go back. This is what I believe. This is what motivates me. Sometimes we have to be careful about what we believe because we need to be sure that what we believe is at the heart of God. And it's not something that we were taught by culture and it's not something that we were taught by even our parents. 
But our core beliefs are informed by the power of God, which are shaped by our love for others, which is taught by our compassion, by our ability to open our hearts and let things into our hearts and into our minds that ordinarily we would not allow there. You hear what I'm saying? I feel like we are fortifying, that that we're getting stronger in our beliefs But we're forgetting that these must be shaped by love. God is love. In Him there is no darkness at all. There is no fear. Perfect love drives out fear. If there's a bunch of stuff over here in our belief systems that are not being informed by love, we got to ask some big questions. And then how do we love? We love because compassion opens us. We're learners, we're childlike. Unless you change and become like little children, you can never enter the kingdom of God. Children are curious, they're open, they're learning, they're growing. They didn't stop. They didn't create dogma. They didn't take what they learned a long time ago and turn it into some sort of belief structure of inflexibility. We talked about it a few weeks ago. God, give me new wineskins to hold this new wine. I don't want to patch up the old system. I need a whole new brain. I need a whole new heart. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what God's will. It is good and perfect and pleasing will. That comes because I have a passion to love, because I have a compassion that opens me up. I can't be the same. I can't see the world. I can't learn things and stay the same. It triggers all of my love responses, which triggers everything I believe about the world. Because that's the nature of God. And that's what he calls me to be. And now Pharaoh's daughter, she overcomes her fear because her heart is touched and changed with compassion. So, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I, I just want to go back to the three questions. We're going to close in a moment with communion together, and I invite you to get your elements ready if you haven't done that just yet. And I I love this imagery. I'm sure that there are theological smart people who would say we're supposed to have only certain elements and only when the appropriate elder has blessed them. I, I just think... God loves the simplicity of each of us bringing whatever it is we have and praying over that reality. The little cup from your home, a cracker, a piece of bread, a cookie. I just think that simplicity, that organic thing is something that must just thrill the heart of God. And that we're going to gather all of that together and in a moment we're going to pray over it. And we're going to ask God to be the source of strength inside of us. And we're going to ask God to be the nourishment that helps us to overcome fear. But we're not just attaching that to some emotion. God, help us to overcome fear as we embrace our morality what we deeply believe about God and life and what's right and what's wrong and if 
if God, we've begun to slip, if we've become mean-spirited and, and harsh and judgmental, would you forgive us? And the question this morning is, what do you so deeply believe that it impacts your choices and your words and the nature of your heart? What do you so deeply believe? And is it more than a value? Do you just believe it in your head or does it become a virtue? Does it play out in your life? Can people see the value and the belief and what you're committed to because it comes out of your pores? It, it comes out in everything you do. Because listen, attaching to our beliefs and holding them tight when the whole world is going crazy is how we overcome fear. And then the question is, what do you love so deeply that you're willing to sacrifice? What is it that moves you that you care most deeply about in life and in the world? And while it might not be your first choice or your greatest preference, still you love something so greatly that you're willing to sacrifice. I, I think being together as a congregation, we're sacrificing because we love, because we care. What do you love so deeply that you're willing to unselfishly sacrifice? God, help us. Show us the true loves of our lives. Show us what it is that motivates us. Teach us what it would mean for us to overcome our fear simply because we love so much, we get ourselves out of the middle and we begin to look to others, to look to things around us, to look for ways in which we might share this great sacrifice of love for others. And then the third question becomes this. What so moves you with compassion that it changes what you think? It changes how you used to feel. It changes the way things used to look to you. In what way is your heart and mind open so that you can continue to learn and grow and reach out and have compassion for others? And that that great compassion might let light into your heart, mind, soul, spirit that, that then impacts the way we love and reforms the way we believe. And may these beliefs always center around the great passionate love of God who has loved us perfectly. God, would you help us? Would you speak to us about our beliefs and our love and our compassion? Thank you for the story of these women who overcame circumstances because of their morality and their great love and their great compassion. And it allowed, as they lived in the reality of those moments, the story of God to carry forward in a massively redemptive way. Remind us that each of us have the same power and impact as we live for you we are able to allow your story to move forward. 
I pray now that as we gather together as the family of God around this table, that you would take the elements that have been gathered and you would use them to nourish our souls. Nourish them with great belief. Nourish them with great love. Nourish them with great compassion. We gather together in this moment. We ask that you hear our confession. We confess to you our sins, our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our fears. We're so very thankful that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I pray now that you would apportion grace to each person, each home, each family as there is need. We dedicate these elements to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. And now, God, as we close and respond to you, would you teach us to overcome our fear and bless and guide us, we pray in your name. We say it all together, amen and amen. And amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.